everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast hosted by a few of your favorite friends from Philadelphia. Uh, my name is Sam, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Christine, Connor, and Dave. And uh, our lovely podcast is on a beautiful, fantastic, just chef's kiss of a network called Movie John. So uh, after you finish listening to this really special episode of Butter With That, go give our fellow uh, network podcasts a listen to. Um, so before we get into our special versus episode, how are you all doing? Have you watched anything pretty good lately? I'm doing all right. I watched um, the hit of April or I guess March 2021, uh, the monkey versus the lizard movie oh, yes. versus Kong. Um, I thought it was great. I've been a fan generally of this new monsters universe. Um, and I thought this was, you have like Gareth Edwards, Godzilla in 2014, which is like very grounded. Um, and then this one on the other end, which is like just embraces all the wacky sci-fi monster mashing things that it can do. Uh, directed by Adam Wingard, who directed The Guest, a film that we talked about a little bit ago. Um, I thought did a really wonderful job with a lot of cool, like, I don't know, you know, him and his team, cool cinematography. Like, there's a scene where Godzilla charges up from under the ocean. You see it in the trailers to attack Kong on the boat. And the camera stays with Kong as, like, the whole ship, like, flips over under, under the water. Yeah. So there's some really cool camera work there. And they actually let the monsters fight without cutting to the dumb humans every 30 seconds. Can I? Yes, I loved that. The fight scenes were awesome. But can I, like, I just need to say this. A giant monkey versus a dinosaur with atomic breath. I, okay, okay. I'm Team Kong. Yeah. I'm Team Kong. I gotta say. Well, the movie, so I, I saw it too and thought it was a very fun ride. Um, but I felt like the movie was team kong in its yeah storytelling yeah. which is fine i guess but i thought the idea of the the blank versus blank is to sort of create this uh equal uh battle between these two forces and have the movie not take sides. And I felt like the movie definitely took sides. I mean, I think King Kong has a an interest, like is an interesting character, but I feel like Godzilla was positioned as the villain until Mecha Godzilla. And it was like, that's not really fair, right? Well, you know, sure, because that's the arc. They discover, you know, one another. And uh, like in the end, spoiler alert, they kind of give each other basically just the like, do you want to finish this? Not really. And the other one's like, yeah, me either. And they're both like, all right, it's cool. I liked the 2014 Godzilla. I saw it in theaters and thought it was really good. And I liked it also because it, um, it, it like it positioned Godzilla as kind of a complex character. And so I was hoping that it was like giving a little bit more of that. But I was like, this movie is definitely Team Kong. And go mammals. Woo! <laughs> Godzilla is like is like beautiful. He is beautiful, and he's always been a friend. So well, that's the thing too with the verses. I kind of figured they were gonna go like Freddy versus Jason with it to a degree, where like in the end, you have to satisfy both fan bases, so they're probably gonna get along and like fight a third monster, which you know is how it plays out. But uh, it yeah, it was a uh, Christine as you put it, it was a really fun ride. 
Mechagodzilla was, was just fucking rad. I love Mechagodzilla, so I was so happy to see Mechagodzilla in this movie. And it done in such like a cool, interesting way. Yeah. And I thought it was like, I don't remember this in other, like these Godzilla movies, but when Godzilla tears one of the vessels in half and like drags it underground, you see people flying out the like back of the like torn up ship underwater. Nice so like, I don't remember seeing like little like carn- carnage details like that. So there was this, I think there was a lot to really like and appreciate. It's cause he's supposed to be the villain. I will never see him that way. I just won't. <laughs> okay, so Kong Godzilla versus Kong, I guess, right? Godzilla versus wait, wait a minute. Um, anything else? <laughs> well, thinking about franchises, I watched the Justice League. Uh, I had to break it up into two viewing chunks: first two being, hours and second two hours. Yeah, so that being the Snyder version, obviously. Excuse me, excuse me, the Snyder cut. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I had no context for like what the movie was before i i recognized some characters was like okay yeah i know who batman is. okay controversial opinion is i don't mind a ben affleck batman no in this version he was great <laughs> it's like he might be my favorite i, don't know about great, I mean but it was all right i can't i did not i can't say i enjoyed watching the snyder cut I thought doing the three, four aspect ratio or whatever the fuck that as like very artsy aspect ratio was at for, I had texted the group while I was watching it saying, I feel like it's tricking me into thinking the movie is better than it really is <laughs> because it's an intriguing uh, visual setup to do a very busy uh, superhero movie in kind of a old cinema style. And then I was like, okay, I don't understand anything, even though it's four hours long. Um, there was one scene where Wonder Woman is throwing some sort of, it's slow-mo, one of the many slow-mo scenes, and she's throwing something, I think, and Flash slows down time and like tips her mm-hmm. sword tips something so that it goes in the right direction to hit an enemy. And I thought that was a really cool visual moment. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's got some moments. Like I said last time or a couple of weeks ago, I think it is definitely better than the uh, theatrical version at the very least. And what was with the fucking ending? I didn't get it. I was like, this movie's over. Don't worry what about happened? it. That's a fan film in, shoved into this film. It's 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 not a big deal. <laughs> I was I was so angry. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Can I tell you guys a funny story though about that that ending? Um, has nothing to do with really that ending, uh, except so as we were watching it, uh, I I was there with uh, two two of my roommates and Jared Leto's joker just really reminded me of jeffree star if you know who that is and i and i said that out loud and my one roommate thought i said joe dirt and (laughs) she thought i said joe dirt looks like jeffree star and i i don't remember anything else that happened in the epilogue because i was too busy laughing i was gonna say yeah that's all that's all a lot (laughs) yeah poor david spade he doesn't deserve that at all um, but you know what? I would have preferred to see David Spade, Joe Dirt, than Jared Leto. 
it would have been funnier, I guess, which I'm not a Joe Dirt fan, so that's saying so. Neither am I. <laughs> I'd be interested to see um, him as Joker. Joe Dirt. Yeah, Joe Dirt playing Joker. <laughs> God, what a wild ride that would be. Okay. Um, well, I had gotten around to a couple things because um, we had some time off. Uh, from recording, which was nice. We, we we were sort of able to really absorb and stew in what we're going to be talking about this week, which I'm really excited to sink our teeth into. But before that, there were a couple of things that I had uh, uh, had gotten uh, off my checklist, one of which was um, one that I've been meaning to get to for a long time called Begotten. That's a 1989 black and white experimental horror film uh, that is absent any dialogue. Um, it's a grueling existential trudge through a prehistorical creation myth uh, loaded with brutal violence and uh, a movie that I wouldn't recommend that uh, the three of you guys watch and a movie that I wouldn't recommend most people watch. Um, it was definitely one of the more challenging films that I've ever seen in terms of its violence and its uh, uh, visual distortion of image because like they dedicated like 10 hours to every minute of the film and it's a 73 minute film uh, in terms of like degrading and eroding the existing negatives and like the film itself. So it's a truly captivating and like unique, entirely unique experience. I've never seen anything like it. And there was a period of the movie where I didn't blink for like 30 minutes and my legs went numb. It was a lot. Um, but again, I would not recommend this movie um, to almost anyone. Like it's, if you're squeamish about anything, don't watch it. If you have a, a lighter constitution as far as to movies, basically, unless you're a very, very seasoned uh, horror fan, I would say to avoid this movie uh, altogether. But I, I'm glad I got it off the list. I uh, also saw uh, A Face in the Crowd, which is a 1957 movie starring uh, uh, Andy Griffith, um, kind of about this uh, like, like folksy prisoner who is sort of plucked from uh, that situation by... Um, I, I don't recall. It's like a radio executive or like a um, uh, record label executive and uh, sort of elevates him to this, this fame as like a folk songwriter, but also he, it's becomes very pronounced that he has some like pretty outspoken and very folksy uh, political and like community-based leanings that really inspire a lot of listeners and the journey of his sort of becoming corrupted as a cartoon of himself um throughout the movie so it was uh definitely really interesting andy griffith uh does a great job uh it's it struggles with some problems in terms of uh its era you know of course it's from 1957 so there is uh you know to a degree i was discussing with housemates uh like a very a pretty pronounced minstrel sort of vibe to what what he's doing without it being like blackface or anything it's just you know it's like the 1950s interpretation of poor white southerners which is basically a un very unfortunate caricature um otherwise though the movie's great and really interesting um so those are some of the things i've been checking out recently so dave would you recommend that one if you can't recommend the first one? Oh yeah i'd recommend a face in the crowd sure it's uh it's really good it's very digestible um as i said it does struggle struggle from some problems of its uh you know era of creation but uh the performances are really great the arc is really interesting and it definitely ties in a lot of like references uh very subtly to other uh, really great films uh it's definitely got like some citizen kane moments it's got some streetcar named desire moments uh it has some network moments even though it preceded network so uh it really 
it's really kind of a nice melange of a lot of different uh different cinematic touchstones and uh a really fun movie cool okay thank you for me i've just been on that falcon and the winter soldier train um i've said this before <laughs> i've said this before but i it, i feel like i've deserved this after all all the horror and heartbreak we've all experienced with marvel movies um but other than that oh. i uh watched this documentary called there's something wrong with aunt diane i had seen oh. Yeah, I saw it like blowing up on the internet and I was like, oh, okay. I remember. So it is basically about this woman who um, has a medical emergency while she's driving a, a minivan on the Taconic Parkway in New York. And she ends up driving the wrong way on the parkway and gets into a head-on collision and everybody but the little boy unfortunately dies. And the documentary really goes into the 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 mother and why this accident happened and the mother's family was very much like she was having a medical emergency this was a crisis and while that might have been um the documentary really puts forward the, the that like she had been drinking and that was it and so you know watching this documentary i had to say like 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 two things were going through my head i was like wow this is really underwhelming and then i had to like slap myself and be like okay but this was somebody's real life and like these were some things that they were really experiencing and it made me not for the first time but definitely um for the most recent time just kind of step back and be like all right so i love true crime but like don't forget that these are real people and like just because you didn't think it was interesting um like this was you know, people are still dealing with the loss here. So I, I don't know if I would recommend it either, but um, it definitely gave me more to think about as a person. I, I've seen that one and I did really like it because I did think it was, it did really cast a very interesting light on how, um, you know, fond memory compounded by loss can color your perception of a person yeah. Uh, e even including the events that might have led to their deaths and the deaths of others. So, um, yeah, I, I, I found it pretty, I found it very interesting, but in, a, I guess, uh, maybe a more conceptual way, because I could see how the fine, fine-tuned details of it aren't entirely all that captive. It's, you know, it's a car crash, which of course is tragic. And, uh, you know, the people are still reeling from it on, in, on his face, there's not a lot that it introduces, uh, as far as stuff to think about, but I think that the, um, the surviving family members uh testimonies and and remembrance of the event uh as more details come to light um as you discussed really uh really kind of makes it an interesting movie to watch so yeah. i'd recommend it <laughs> and, well you know what else really surprised me so they um without any warning they show you pictures of the woman like yeah that, like on site her pictures of her dead body and i was like whoa um you ever That's like a brutal about, car crash it is brutal you ever think about how many dead bodies you've seen I, I don't know why but i think about that a lot um and i was like oh add another one was the fan did it seem like this was something that the family wanted revisited and investigated or was it well it's something it that documentary producers were like this would be a great idea we're gonna like 
sort of extract this story from the family and have them relive this memory. Yeah, see, Christine, that's what's interesting is because it's happening in real time. So I think there, there was like a, a year, maybe even less than that after the accident happened where the, the crew started to get involved. And the crew was actually really helpful in getting the family connections to a lot of documents and um, to access to a lot of people. So I thought like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some interesting parts to it. I, I, I guess I was just sort of left at the very end going, I just feel bad. It's definitely one of those, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, moving on from something like that to something, <laughs> Jesus. Um, God, isn't this just like 2020 and 2021 in a nutshell, just going from like hell to, hey, let's have fun. Um, I hope so, eventually. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the hell part's gone on a little long now. It's true. I mean- it's true. Anyway, <laughs> so um, we are, for the first time ever, doing a versus episode. We've kind of talked about this a little bit throughout the various years we've been a podcast of how, uh, when it comes to Pride and Prejudice, people feel very strongly <laughs> about the 2005 movie versus the 1990s miniseries. And we've finally done it. We've watched all of it. We've got a lot of <laughs> dancing under our belt at this point. And so we're finally ready to have it out to see which, which deserves the, the trophy, the award of best interpretation of Pride and Prejudice out of uh, two choices. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say there are other interpretations as I know it, but you know, uh, whatever. So, um, Christine, you and I have talked about this before, how much we love uh, both of the versions, but Connor and Dave, this was the, the first time for both of you um, watching both the movie and the miniseries. So I would love to hear about your experience watching both of these. So I have full disclosure, no experience or knowledge of Jane Austen, except that she was an English lady and wrote a lot of books. That was... More, more or less my uh, knowledge coming in. And so um, I started with the movie. 2005 was a Joe Welsh. Joe, Joe Wright. Joe, I don't know where Joe Welsh came from. Joe Wright, directed movie uh, starring Keira Knightley. And so that's where I started. And then I watched the mini series afterward, which is six episodes. Um, currently it's on HBO Max. So very easy way to watch it. And that is a, headlined by Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. So it was interesting going into this huge kind of cultural thing in Western literature that I knew nothing about. And then surprising myself with having a really great time consuming a lot of Pride and Prejudice, watching a lot of uh, Darcy's, a lot of Bennett's, um, and super interested to kind of dive into the nitty gritty about what we liked about the movie versus the miniseries, maybe where the miniseries did better or the movie did better. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of hash it out between the two versions. Yeah, and uh, similarly, I uh, well, I, I've got some experience with Austin. Um, I'd read Pride and Prejudice in high school and um, enjoyed it enough. I thought it was okay. It's, it's you know, I, I'm actually... 
I don't know. Personally, I'm uh, I'm honestly more of a Mans- uh, Mansfield Park uh, devotee between between the two. Um, but that being said, um, was really looking forward to uh, how these were going to be interpreted. Uh, I did the opposite of Connor and first watched the um, the miniseries from 1995, the BBC series, and then went to Joe Wright's uh, 2005 interpretation. Um, without getting into too much detail, because I know we're, we've got a lot to explore within uh, the miniseries, I had quite a uh, quite a transformative experience. I went into the first uh, episode uh, and felt pretty exhausted by the end of the first hour and was like kind of dreading the task ahead. I continued on with uh, episode two and was uh, found myself getting a little, my interest was getting a little more peaked. I was getting into it. Uh, by the end of episode uh, four, I was like ravenously hooked and really, really enjoying the series. Uh, so I became a really big fan of, uh, of the, the series as it went on. And I thought it was really well handled, especially in how thoroughly it explores its characters um, and the situations described in the book and then went out to the movie and uh, I found Joe Wright's interpretation to be um, obviously, you know, a great deal more uh, cinematically informed and a good deal more like lush uh, in certain regards, uh, certainly a good deal more stylized and um, and definitely advanced by the strength of its editing. Um, Although I found that the elements that it, deemed necessary to cut to make a two-hour movie for me detracted a lot after having spent six hours absorbing pretty much the whole book um so i'd have to say uh for me pretty roundly i i preferred the series uh over the movie although i thought the movie was uh, a good interpretation albeit perhaps uh, a little incomplete okay all right so one vote for the miniseries Connor, where do you land? Oh, that's so tough. Because I feel like starting with the movie, I felt like I had a very complete and focused experience. Mm-hmm. And so then jumping into the show, I was like, oh yeah, Lydia and Kitty are kind of, don't really exist in the movie that much until you need Lydia um, at the end. And Mr. But, and Mrs. Phillip. And all sorts of other stuff. And all sorts <laughs> of other stuff. But I, I think I have to go with the movie. I feel like I was a little more enraptured by uh, the dancing scenes in the miniseries. <laughs> really just took the wind out of my sails. Oh, there's, it's such an weirdly infantilizing form of dance. It's so creepy and scary. <laughs> Which I agree is handled way better in the movie. Yeah. And, and what I think is interesting is like also thinking about a 2005, more or less like, Oscar bait blockbuster kind of movie versus a BBC series made on nineties TV budget. So it's like mm-hmm. interesting to think about just the, they're trying to do two kind of totally different things. I think both are pretty successful, but if I had to land on one, I feel like even though we have the inferior Darcy far inferior, uh, I think the movie has my vote. Oh, that feels like fighting words for Christine. I saw her just like, <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. That's going to get interesting. I guess, okay, I'll wait. Like, before uh, we started recording, we were talking about, like, picking teams and camps. I was like, well, you know, I, like, I really love them both for different reasons. But I think for the sake of a spicy argument, I'll jump in and, and call myself out as a team 2005 Joe Wright movie lover. 
Um, but also something that I am really interested in talking about and thinking about is does the distillation of show versus movie come down to Mr. Darcy? And I would argue that it does not. I think I that arguing them. who the best Darcy is. Now, I love Matthew McFadden. I think he has shown his range and I love Colin Firth. Like he's wonderful and he, he has a range as an actor and that's great. But watching Matthew McFadden transform himself into so many different characters is like a lot of fun. And I think he is such a wonderful Darcy because he sh shows like an amount of restraint and awkwardness that I think is is fitting for the screenplay that was written for him. You know, you can disagree with me, that's fine. Um, but I but I think that Mr. Darcy has so much focus when we analyze and think about these stories when there's so much other stuff to really like pick apart and, and really think about. Um, just, and yeah, that's the, that'll be my two cents. I'll, I'll go into this team, team movie. <laughs> Sam, do you want to declare your, your team yeah. before we get into it? <laughs> I'm so glad that this ended up being equal teams because yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. I am team miniseries. Hmm. Um, for me, if I love something, I'll just never have enough of it. And so the miniseries really gives me what I, I want for the most part. And, you know, what I'm interested in, in almost all of the fictional media that I consume is really strong, like interpersonal relationships. And so I think that obviously the miniseries is going to do it better because it has more time to establish and to carry all of this out. I think in particular, um, the movie upsets me with how Charlotte is handled. Um, you know, Charlotte is such a beautiful and wonderful character because it's a woman who is understanding the system and then having it work for her in a way that I think is just really incredible and you know I always prefer women supporting women and so you know you have to watch Lizzie get over herself get over her prejudices and her pride um to like really understand why Charlotte made the decision that she does and um so you know particularly when it comes to to Charlotte um but also I think that Darcy right Darcy is um both a bigger presence in the miniseries and then also not. Um, Dave, you mentioned, I think Dave, this was you, you mentioned uh, how uh, he wasn't present in a, in a couple episodes, but how still everything really surrounded around Mr. Darcy. And, you know, I think that that's just so well done because because you, you're waiting for him, right? You, you just want him to be around the whole time. And I think in the miniseries, you get to see more of his human sign rather than just like this asshole and uh i don't know um yeah that not to not to center it around mr darcy which is exactly what we're trying to avoid um because i do think i agree christine you're exactly right there is so much richness in comparing the two different interpretations for their other features because he is but one feature of this broader story and i think is uh to, to judge the merit of uh, the miniseries versus the movie based on that alone um, wouldn't really do either justice. Um, and I do think that a majority of things are stronger in the miniseries uh, generally. But as we're talking about Mr. Darcy and the two dueling performances, um, yeah, I think, Sam, maybe it is 
perhaps the benefit of the format of a miniseries versus uh, a movie where it has to be way more succinct. And in, in explaining the dimensions of this character who is more reserved. Um, but I, Matthew McFadden, I guess, that's the actor from the, the 05 version. Mm-hmm. It's a dead fish to me. I, I got nothing. Like, I honestly got nothing from him. Uh, Is he too much of a Tom Wamsgams? You've watched Succession, right? uh, I have not. But I do know that he's that. (laughs) No, it's just, no, this is my first experience with him. And it just feels, I don't know. It feels like he interpreted the character at the onset without any of the kind of like underlying, like smoldering, like personal, uh, personal like experiences and, uh dynamicism or uh, dynamics that um that the character has in the book and i think i mean it's also difficult to say because colin firth like for me was like a like a solar eclipse within the series it's just such a commanding performance that is appropriately restrained but also shows a great deal of range uh albeit a, a version that is afforded a lot more time to develop um so I think, but I don't think it's an issue. It's an issue of one medium versus the other. I do think that McFadden for me was too flat for me to feel invested in the character. Can I just bring up something that I thought was really distracting? And this is like very surface level, maybe didn't affect up, but I thought everybody, almost everybody in the movie had terrible hair. Yes. Like oh I thought God. the hair was just atrocious generally. See, that's, I love that about the movie. People are sweaty, they're dirty, and their hair is mussied. And I re- that is actually I something I'm that, so yeah. glad you brought up, Connor, because I'll go into this maybe later, but what I find about the movie is there's such life. And, and uh, Dave, you're talking about dynamism. Maybe Matthew McFadden doesn't have it in his performance, but the way that characters move around with each other, the way that they are presented on screen in the movie, I think really brings dynamism to that world. And the fact that they probably all were smelly and stinky and their hair wasn't perfectly done every day when they were tromping around in the mud in the farm. And I really feel like Joe Wright's shots, his sets really put you in every setting uh, no matter whether it's a wealthy, huge mansion or the muddy farm location of Longbourn. And so I love the mussy hair. That's what I'll say about, about the hair. I, I, I he just totally... got off a fucking horse and carriage. Obviously, their <laughs> hair is going to be flying every direction. No, I totally agree of this like lived in sense, but I just could not get over Matthew McFadden's just like emo 2005 kind of vibe. I don't, the whole movie, I don't know. For me that like really his hairdo just, and that's not something that really is like a sticking point for me. Um, but in, for this one, that was just like a hard, a hard uh, thing to ignore. Well, Connor, you kind of bring me to the, one of the essential questions is casting. We've already talked a little bit about Darcy and how this, he, Darcy is not the linchpin here um, because, you know, both versions are are what they are um, and there's so much more that makes these stories their own. But, you know, there are characters that have to, to bear a lot of the weight and if you got the casting wrong, then I think it just wasn't going to work. And obviously one of those characters is Lizzie. Um, 
And I also think it's, um, it's Caroline, it's the Bingleys. And because, you know, what I think you, you, you see a little bit more in the, the miniseries, obviously, is just like how, like, Caroline is really underhanded and and what she's actually doing. Very brilliant at it, but um, you get to see that. And I think the actress, forgive me, I don't know her name, who played Caroline just did it so well. Whereas in the movie, you know, it's forgettable for me. And I don't so know. Polly Maberly in the series. Yeah. So so what do you folks think? Like who who actually is the linchpin character and you know which castings did you like did you not like actually wait i need to say one more thing about casting um bingley in the movie i know no offense to this man i do not know him but uh, uh, everything about him terrifies me every single thing the teeth the hair the eyes i'm so sorry to that man but I, but, uh, I don't want to see it. It's pretty unfortunate what happened to that guy. Also, speaking of hair, is that uh, that's uh, let me see here. I believe that's Simon Woods, um, who uh, when enlisted for the role had uh, hair that grew in uh, kind of like blondish or like a dirty blonde, um, and then got it uh, dyed the kind of like strange sort of orange that it is in this movie. Um, that's how his hair grows in now. And he's very upset about it, apparently. Oh, that poor man. Damn you, Joe Wright, and your hair choices. I really enjoyed um, Mrs. Bennett in the movie. I felt like there was such- Brenda Blythen, who is, she is an institution in all of like, British shows and movies. I love watching her. Sorry, continue, Connor. And that, I mean, it makes sense because I thought she had such a, she really feels like the heart of that family when in the mini series, and then I, I don't know most of these actor things. I feel like the mom was kind of like playing it's to the- playing Alison Stedman. I felt like her, that direction was kind of more like playing to the back of the audience, like make it big, make it bold, always fainting, always has her nerves. What I really enjoyed about the movie was her really caring about the welfare of her children and of her daughters and really being like, this is like, if they don't marry, this is the end of the line for them. Like the stakes of why these daughters had to marry, I feel like felt so much more on the forefront when in the miniseries, she was kind of flippant, which for me watching the movie first kind of cut away a little bit at those stakes. Dave, it looks I, like you have uh, you you disagree. I mean, for me, it's I mean, it's the same material handled in two different ways. Um, you know, obviously, and um, while I think the movie does a better job of framing her as a realistic or or more realistic character, um, what the strength of her performance in the miniseries, which for me really stood out, I really loved Mrs. Bennett in the in the series, uh, because it is such a like an exaggerated version of the text, which is shared. In both. I mean, she does have, you know, at her heart, um, concern for her, her daughter and her family's financials, financial well-being as concerns marriage in both versions. It's just perhaps a little bit more comically handled in the miniseries, which I kind of appreciated. Uh, I, I appreciated her, her, her bringing some levity to the story 
um, in that interpretation versus uh, her being perhaps more convincingly human uh, in the other interpretation. One thing um, I wanted to throw in was not only the performances uh, between uh, Stedman and, and Blythen, I thought their energy was quite similar. Like watching them back to back, I was like, oh, both these actresses played the mother. I do see similarities and I'm sure that every actor in that movie had seen the 1995 version and it's either are you going to channel that similar energy or are you going to go a way different departure and i mm -hmm. think she generally channels a similar like mr bingley like you pretty <laughs> much can do that voice and know you're doing either one of those women but um one thing i loved that the movie does um is sh there's a moment where you see uh mr bennett and mrs bennett in their room in bed together just chatting about the day's events and joe wright loves shots through windows through banisters and it's a beautiful scene in sort of the like closing action when all the drama has happened and people are settling back into the house and there's this beautiful warm scene with um uh, Donald Sutherland and Brenda Blythen in bed and they're just joking and talking and I loved that shot that's not included in the show because it it shows this sort of aged relationship and it's like the whole story centers on these like young moments and this is a moment where Donald Sutherland is sort of joking in bed with his wife and maybe does it show up in the show? Maybe I'm... That moment is in the show, but it's not handled with nearly the same tenderness you're so describing. So maybe yeah. I forgot because, yeah, it just watching the movie, just, I thought that was such a touching moment. And yeah, I guess showed their sort of, yeah, old, the older iteration of, you know, a long marriage and sort of the like storms they've weathered together without a whole scene devoted to it. And I think those are moments where it's like, you don't need a bunch of dialogue and a scene devoted to that to really suggest a relationship or suggest a feeling. And I think Joe Wright is really good at communicating feelings without the uh, full dialogue that Austin would have, would have written. Yeah, I, I think that Donald Sutherland, he nailed it. And the the final scene with him and Lizzie when he's actually talking to her, like, I thought you hated this man, but is this love? And like the tears in his eye and and when he's crying, crying, and he's like, you know, I, I anybody else want to marry one of my daughters? I'm quite in the mood. It makes me cry all <laughs> time. It really does. And it it is so tender and beautiful. And I think that he he had a, definitely a lot more to do with the character. I, I think that they they definitely want if I mean you get somebody like Donald Sutherland like there's got to be a reason and um so he he made that his own and he did it right I I definitely agree there I really also love the scene in the movie where the she rejects Mr. Collins who we haven't talked about yet oh. um rejects the cousin Mr. Collins um who wanted to propose to Lizzie and then there's, I think Joe Wright did a really good job of building up the scene where it's like the mother's like, I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm never going to see you again. Mr. Bennett, please talk some sense into Lizzie. And then he's like, well, you're, you'll have one parent who's uh, 
never going to see you again if you marry him. And if you do marry him, you'll have another one who'll never look at you again or something, whatever he says. And it's like, oh, Papa, I love you so much. Like, I really thought that scene was shot so well. And I mean, part of this is also the difference between 2005 Hollywood-ish filmmaking and 90s TV series. And I think this sure. is also highlighted when um, Catherine de Bourge confronts Lizzie. In the show, this scene played so flat. And it's probably more realistic maybe to how it played in the book of like broad daylight. It was like George Lucas in the prequels. A shot, B shot, A shot, B shot, A shot, B shot. Why yeah. as he walks away. And the like the midnight ride of Judy Dench through here in the maybe it was raining and she goes like I need to talk to Lizzie now. It's two in the morning and I must talk to her. Just so many more cinematic opportunities to add, you know, a sense of Go ahead, Dave. Well, I'll say by, by contrast, I mean, if we want to get into like some of the comparisons as far as cinematography and everything, obviously one has the edge over the other. Um, Joe Wright. Um, I, I think what I enjoyed the most about the movie is not how the story or the characters are handled. I think it's how the cinematography is handled and it's handled really well. Um, there's a couple editing flares of like um, uh, Lizzie going to blow on a feather and then the sound merging directly into the scene transition of like a roaring fire at a party and like there's so many really brilliant and really tasteful nuances that that are allowed to become a little bit more like visual spectacle because you're spending so much more money on cinematography and so on um as opposed to making something for television where it is so traditionally one shot b shot um but that being said, I think one of the exceptions is Lady Catherine confronting Lizzie at the end of the series versus the end of the movie, where uh, that conversation plays out in uh, you know a closed room with Lizzie and uh, Lady Catherine in uh, in the O five film, and it is perhaps a little bit more like attuned to the cinematography we've experienced because a lot of it is indoors. Um, but but the nice thing about the series is that conversation happens outside in the garden. It's this this conversation where they're so far removed from the family, like the family and the movie is listing on the other side of the door versus Lizzie, like taking charge of her own situation by contrast to what lady Catherine is demanding, like outside in the elements exposed with just the two of them. So it's kind of like, I don't know. There were some things that I think were handled cinematic in spite of the two formats and in spite of how that would normally play out. I think there were some elements that were handled in the miniseries, perhaps more cinematically than in the movie, which I regard as being more cinematic, which is kind of interesting because I feel like it's it's kind of like, uh, it's it's tough to weigh the two in that regard. To just pop right in about the Catherine de Berg uh, like argument scene, I would, I would agree, or I would also agree that in the show, I think the fire and energy of Lizzie's argument with Catherine, Lady Catherine is so well handled. Mm -hmm. It's it's well handled. Like obviously Judy Dench can like yell down anybody and that's going to sure. be amazing. But I think what I was so surprised by in the show was how much energy there was in their argument. And I think that was, that's when you have six hours of really uh, thoughtful pacing, a lot of time to sit with the characters, and a, a lot of time to recognize that in this period, people aren't having arguments with one another that are loud, that are uh, fast-paced. 
And because the tone of the show sets that realistic pacing up where everyone's going to be seated, everyone's going to be talking at a very level volume, that her, her anger at Lady Catherine and Lady Catherine's anger at her, at Lizzie, feels so intense because of the rest of the pacing of the show. And, and I think that that was one of my favorite moments in the show. Um, and that the scene is given time to breathe, but at the same time, it's like, it's really energized and they're, and Lizzie's speaking truth to power. And it's like, shit, that, that was more so than any scenes with Mr. Darcy. That's one of the most uh, fraught and intense and wonderfully dynamic scenes uh, in the, for me in the whole show. Mm. Whereas in the, in the movie, everything is dynamic and everything's moving so fast. You're like, okay, this is like another intense argument. Um, but they really are patient in the show to build to that climactic moment. And that full also feels more like a climax than like her like casual chat with Mr. Darcy when he proposes again. I mean, it's like, that didn't really seem climactic. That was yeah, sort which, of like things reaching its logical conclusion. <laughs> in the show, I will agree that that story thread seeing itself through to the end was perhaps less dramatic than what we're treated to in specifically the American version of the film because that, that dialogue at the end of the movie, um, the 05 version um, of, uh, what is it? Only call me Mr. Darcy when you're like- Oh, that, that's total bullshit. That was well. like totally um, made. Yeah, specifically for American <laughs> audiences. And like, it's it's definitely a, a difference of closure, um, not only in terms of having a very ham-fisted, you know, uh, non- It's awful. I, I, I'll let it, I'll say it. I hate versus, that closing scene. Versus what is, though, on the other <laughs> hand, kind of an underwhelming conclusion as regards that plot line in the series. That, um, for me, the very end of the 05 movie, and we were just talking about the Snyder Cut, reminds me of that epilogue. <laughs> like, Joker might as well pop o like pop around from Pemberley and be like, I'm here. <laughs> oh, God. You want to know how I got this husband? <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Mr. Joker when you're <laughs> happy with me. And you can call me Mr. Joker when you're angry at me <laughs> and you can call me my blossom any other time <laughs> that just sent me to an early grave i'm dead right now hello oh, it just happened ghost wow thanks thanks for Zack snyder's uh, pride and prejudice christine <laughs> I mean, in, in the texting group we joked about snyder with that where we turn every movie into a Zack snyder movie I think I think Christine just unlocked it. You can make every movie except Joss Whedon movies worse. <laughs> That's how that works. <laughs> oh oh my God, Zack Snyder's Meeks cutoff. Oh hell yeah! That's everything is slow mo. Oh my God, wait, even slower. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And the sound design is going to be slow-mo too. So the creak of the bucket is going to go. And it'll be set to like an ACDC song for no reason. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Uh, what were we talking the, about? And instead of the big beige sunny desert, it's like a dark blue wherever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I would love to see Kelly Reichardt and Zack Snyder on the same set discussing <laughs> 
what's gonna happen it's just kelly reichardt doing that thing where like someone pinches like their index and thumb against their nose and just, <laughs> <sighs> oh, damn kelly reichardt might be, actually be the only person working with Zack snyder whereas she'd be like all right zach you need to hurry this up <laughs> right yeah i was like i mean i can do slow like give me all the slow all day any day but Zack snyder you take slow and give it a bad name i think we just accidentally created my personal hell oh wow oh <laughs> uh, anyway <laughs> Um, okay, so well, yeah. just to thinking of speed, just to give listeners some deets about the screenplay. Um, and the, the show screenplay adaptation was Andrew Davies, who is uh, a big name in like all the masterpiece British stuff. Like he's like a big deal. The Joe Wright screenplay adaptation uh, or screenplay was adapted by Deborah Magoch Magosh. Uh, who's written some books, I think uh, has done some screenplays for some like British romantic comedies or something, uh, things like that. Um, and so these adaptations are definitely interesting uh, comparisons in narrative pacing um, and what's included and what's excluded. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, like the big the big difference for me, and this is what sold me on the miniseries versus the movie ultimately, because uh, as we discussed, like I, I really enjoyed the cinematography and like the editing of the film, which I think is really impressive. I really enjoyed the depth and character performances of the miniseries. And I think that the tiebreaker for me was how the material was handled as concerns Mr. Wickham. Because that's borderline absent from the movie. It's there, but it doesn't become like the the touchstone plot point that it is so much in the book and the miniseries between the two. I think that's a great point. Rupert Friend, who plays Wickham in the movie, uh, kind of appears for maybe three or four scenes and then disappears. And he's he's not really fleshed out as a character. His motivations aren't really developed. Um, whereas the, I, I don't have his name off the top of my head, the actor who plays Mr. Wickham in the show is given a lot more dialogue and we really uh, get a Adrian Lucas. Adrian Lucas. We get a lot more scenes with him. We even get flashback scenes in the show mm -hmm. um, that really show the relationship between Darcy and Mr. Wickham to really get a sense of where their uh, ten where their relationship problems began and the tension between those characters. And the miniseries also does tell you who Mr. Wickham is. There's a, a scene, and I think in like the like third or fourth episode, where Lizzie's walking with Mr. Wickham, and he's about to be engaged to this woman that we had just found out came into like great inheritance of how many of her pounds, whatever. And she she says to him, "I get it. Like she's got money. You have to make these decisions for yourself that way. You got to look out for yourself. So like we know that a motivation for him is money, which is interesting because he's when it comes to money and like needing it, he's the only male character that we really see uh, kind of make decisions that way. I know, we, you know the the Bennett's right like Bingley and, Dar and Darcy are talking about like oh, they come from nothing they have no money your family sucks but it, <laughs> I feel like it's a little different 
It is. I mean, it's also, I mean, it, there is that component, but there is also the component that is, is written into the original story, which is that this guy is also, you know, a, a little bit older of a military gentleman who has a pension for like 15 year olds, um, which I think is also a big part of the miniseries uh, and explored a little bit more thoroughly in exploring his character and his questionable intentions uh, as a concern to either trying to find himself a dowry or just having a penchant for kids uh, in the miniseries way more than it is in the movie, which makes this character more, um, it makes it more urgent that he be addressed, which I think that the movie sidelines because it was more interested in other things that I think it takes, it takes advantage for how that affects other things like, um, or takes for granted how it affects those other things. Because like, a big part of Lizzie's realizing she her affection for Darcy is his stepping in to deal with that situation, which is addressed in the movie, but not nearly as thoroughly in as in the miniseries where we come to understand his character before that happens. And I think it's a shame because Rupert Friend is such a good actor. We talked about him in um, Death of Stalin. Um, he's yeah, he's great Stalin. in that. Yeah, and it's like he looks like a Mister Wickham type person, as someone who's only seen <laughs> hmm. the movie and the miniseries, like. He looks like the perfect, the person you would cast as a Mr. Wickham type figure. And I mean, honestly, this movie like had me hooked and I would have watched another 20 minutes if you fleshed out Lydia, Kitty and Mr. Wickham. Like I would have, I would have been there. It's what, two hours and four or five minutes. Yeah, I would have loved another 20 minutes on the movie. Yeah, to flesh that out. Because I was a little confused about why it was such a big deal she went with Wickham. Like I get it of like, she is this young, but the show, Dave, as you mentioned, really fleshes out who Wickham is and the evil man, you know, the evils that this man, you know, possesses. Snake Wickham. I also love the scene. It might be my favorite scene in either of them where it's like graduation day and Colin Firth has like a cap and gown on and person <laughs> to their like dorm room. It's just like woman in her like undergarments sitting on his lap and just like, oh, and Colin Firth is like, oh my God. And like his graduation outfit. It's like such a weird I don't know. It's such a weird, like, 30-second scene. I really don't like those flashback scenes in the show. I think they're so <laughs> dumb. And, like, but it doesn't matter because I've seen enough. I've seen, like, so much masterpiece. Like, I know their technique. Like, they're going to do that, obviously. So, like, right. fine. But, oh, God. Yeah, the the college scenes, the flashback scenes with Darcy's sister, they function. They're, they're functional, though. They remind you why there's problems they remind you who the sister character of darcy is i mean in the movie she's kind of an afterthought in the show somewhat yeah. of an afterthought as well but just uh i like cutting back to like 16 year old darcy is just like or like 18 year old darcy is just kind of a dumb choice that I, for in my mind i'll agree but... with that i guess yeah the flashbacks i wasn't quite as sold on well, one part of the miniseries that surprised me stylistically was, I think this was about, I don't know, a quarter halfway through episode four, when it's like, I'm done with you, Darcy, and they go their separate ways. And then you hear their like internal monologues. And then it's like cut to like Lizzie thinking about Darcy. She like hits a bump in the wagon and like cuts back to her. Like there were some really interesting, like, and I feel like that kind of like helped propel me to the end of the series of like introducing, all right, 90s BBC, you're like playing with some interesting things here that I didn't think you were capable of. I also disagree with that, Connor. I hated those scenes too. And she's like, it's like, it's already six hours and they need to 
do the kind of fade in, fade out memory shot of her, of her thinking about what he had just said one episode ago. I understand why they did it because that was back in the day when people didn't binge watch things and you needed to be reminded having a week stand in between you watching the previous episode and now when you're watching it. So it needs to be a reminder for viewers about what happened and uh, why there's tension. I, I totally agree with that, but I hate, I hated that memory scene too. Christine, I had to ask, how did you feel about this scene where uh, Lizzie is in, in the miniseries where Lizzie is looking upon the mirror and Colin Firth appears in the mirror. It's, it's, it's the total, like it's a total Keanu zoom. It doesn't happen again. It's, it's just one of those things. It. I. I didn't like that. I didn't like his portrait. I loved portrait. it. Oh no! <laughs> I, I love mean, that too. It was funny. It's funny, <laughs> and it, like it reminds me of the mid '90s, and it was a nice sort of like you know uh, time portal. But like, I. I guess. I okay. I'll also be clear. I love the miniseries. I've watched it with my mom many days. Like it. I just, I watched it over Christmas before we decided we were going to do this. So I had seen it and then I rewatched it again recently. And I love the miniseries so much. It means a lot to me, but there are just certain stylistic choices that I don't know who signed off on. <laughs> I think his Fair. portrait when she goes to Pemberley, he needs to look fucking hot when she goes to Pemberley. And that <laughs> portrait of Colin Firth looks so ugly. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. Cause that's such, I think an awesome, I really like the whole, what is it, Pember, Pemberley? Pemberley, yeah. Mm. Pemberley, it's like this enormous vault, high vaulted ceilings, big room, all these statues everywhere. It's like, and then in the mini series, it's just like, here's this tiny little like crayon drawing somebody made of Mr. Darcy. It's definitely it's way more, yeah, pronounced and like impactful in the movie for sure. It's like the whole, like in the novel, the idea of her going to Pemberley is sort of like her entering his interior space. It's like, it's his world. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like, she's acquainting herself with the inner Mr. Darcy. And like, he needs, it was like, visually, it's like her looking at portraits of him. He needs to look good in those portraits. And I gotta say that stone, uh, statue of the bust of, yeah. of Matthew McFadden was looking pretty good. Pretty and good. Joe writes, okay, once again, the movie makes things way sexier than Austin would have ever needed or whatever. Like my English teacher hated this movie because it was more Bronte than it was Austin. She went into the whole thing mm. about like, tonally, it is not Austin at, at all. But as a teenager, I was like, yeah, give me an Austin adaptation that without physical contact suggests sexiness, suggests romance. Like when she goes to Pemberley and she's looking at those like naked statues, it's like, okay, yeah, this is like, things are happening. She's fallen in love with this guy. She knows his personality. Now she's like seeing all the objects in his house. Like it's supposed to be sort of this intimate thing. And he communicates mm -hmm. that without ever having them like, you know, kiss or whatever until like the very end. So how did I get on that? Oh, that he looked really like in the show when she finally goes to Pemberley, it's like, the housekeeper shows the portrait and it's just like, yeah, Connor, that crayon. <laughs> that crayon and I really like the reveal of when, I feel like this movie 
does a good job of, as someone who knew nothing, as I mentioned, quite a few surprises that I think the movie hides pretty well. Um, like when she like peeks through the door because she hears um, his sister's name, Georgiana. Yeah. Georgiana playing the piano and then she peeks through the door and then he appears to like hug her. It's like, whoa, that's a surprise. We didn't know he was coming back early. Um, but I also enjoy that scene when Colin Firth just decides to go for a dip in the pond and just dripping wet comes to see Liz. He's like, Christine, you said that the miniseries doesn't have any sexiness to it. You're right. You're right. That that was the sexy. That was Andrew Davies' sexy touch. You're right, Connor. Wait. Okay. So now that you brought the scene up, we can't not talk about the comparison here. Okay. So you have Colin Firth dripping, coming out of the little pond, and then you have Woo! the very end of the movie when uh, Matthew McFadden is just walking through the meadow to meet up with Lizzie and to ask her to marry him one more time. So which 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 is better? Well, both, I believe, are fabricated. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. There was the, no pawn scene in the there book. There is no pawn scene in the book, yeah. <laughs> then I'll never read it. Also, that pond is so nasty. nasty. Yeah. I, this had never occurred to me until mostly recent watching it. I was like, do not jump in that pond. That thing is going to give you so many bad things you don't You're going to get an amoeba in your brain. Seriously. Um, I... I really loved the scene where he walks out of the fog, embraces Lizzie, and then proposes. I, I don't know, that got me. I was like uh, swept away by Joe Wright. Um, and I think that's what frustrated me about the uh, Snyder Cut ending. Where it's like, no, you're Mr. Darcy. No, you're Mr. Darcy. Like, because that was such a touching moment. And that transitions to like, he speaks to Mr. Bennett and then Donald Sutherland's crying. And he's the one that has the best hair out of anybody in the movie. And such a touching True. scene between um, father and daughter. And I just felt like that kind of like raw emotion, which maybe isn't very Austin, was missing a little bit. Although sexy, dripping Colin Firth, definitely a fan of, but not. I don't think it beats that mysterious walking through the fog. See, that's the thing for me too, is that the miniseries is a good deal more understated in terms of those dramatic moments. I think probably perhaps is perhaps because it is a miniseries and like, you know, we don't have the budget for like uh, Darcy and Lizzie to have uh, the confrontation of the first like marriage proposal in a rainstorm. Like we're just gonna have to shoot it and like, you know, do A, B camera. Um, by contrast, I do, like I, like I said, it, there are certain editing and like uh, technical flares of the movie that I really enjoyed and really adored, but they're the more subtle ones. Like the things like um, the rainy proposal or like him wandering out of the mist. Those things I found to be perhaps a little bit too overstated as opposed to the more tasteful stylistic flares of its cinematography when it wasn't as showy. Because it's already a showy movie. It doesn't need to go that extra mile for those moments for me. And it made the miniseries, by contrast, feel a little more grounded in terms of its consistency, I'd say. Yeah, I I'm, I'm gonna tell you what, if I was ever walking early in the morning and a man appeared out of the fog on my property, I would literally beat the shit out of that man. Like, I I'm not down for that whatsoever. Even if it was somebody that I cared about, I'd be like, fuck you, get out of here. And like I said in the group chat, like in the movie, Darcy comes and goes like Batman. Like, it's like all of a sudden you turn around and it's like, oh shit, there he is. And it's like, Darcy, what do you think? Oh, he's left. <laughs> Another Snyder connection. <laughs> can we can we briefly talk about the balls and the dancing? Yes. Yeah, we have to. Because I think in both show and movie, 
the balls and dancing are so pivotal. Mm -hmm. They're moments when characters are talking to one another. They're um, like actually having physical contact. Like dancing is like, like the moment, like it's like, those are when people are really coming up against one another and there's relationship friction and all of that wonderful stuff. Um, I think it comes down to priorities of like what, I, I think Joe Wright prioritizes movement and choreography. Um, if Have you guys seen any of his other movies? Atonement. Yeah. Uh, um, he like he did Anna Karenina too, which was set all on a stage and all these dancing scenes. And so like those dancing scenes, I think are so stunning. And that like really shines in the movie. The show, the dancing choreography is great, but the one shot where it's Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden talking uh, and it's they're dancing and talking and it stays on them for a good two to three minutes, which I'm sure is super hard to pull off. Yeah, I I, so I definitely think the movie does a better job with the the dancing and the balls. I also I have to say this, and it's gonna hurt me. Cure okay. When it comes to Lizzie, you don't really understand her prides and her prejudices in the in the movie that that much. I think, and in the in the miniseries. You know, there are moments where I'm like, oh, that sucks. Oh, uh, that, that. and and like you could really see how much growing that Lizzie needs to do. But when it comes to charisma and which Lizzie I would rather watch, Kira Knightley wins it every single time. There's just something so charming about her that like just immediately hooks you and you just sort of never get over it. And so I think that her chemistry with Matthew McFadden is pretty interesting and you really see it in those dancing scenes. My apologies. I just got back. Uh, <laughs> I was, I'm hearing now that uh, we prefer Kieran Knightley to um... <laughs> Jennifer Eel or is it L or Eel? Uh, L? I, I Jennifer say. L? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no contest for me. I got to go Jennifer. Um, I mean, I think Kieran Knightley um, is a good actress, but I think that um, what Elle brought to the character, and again, you know, this is a byproduct of a miniseries versus a film, is so much more time to sit with the character and understand the nuances that are, you know, by design in terms of screenplay uh, for, for a film versus a miniseries allows a little more time for that development to emerge. Um, but I also found Knightley to be... I don't know. I didn't feel the complexity of the character via Knightley. I, I, I guess I didn't feel that there was as much depth as there was in, El, in Elle's performance. Um, but that having been said, I spent, you know, four more hours with Elle. So it's, it's really hard to say. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's a tough call for me. I think that their energies as performers are very different, but I mm -hmm. do think it also comes down to what they were asked to do. Oh yeah. And so I think that Davies screenplay has most of Austin's language in it. So his priority is have character, have performers showcase Austin's brilliant language and have them speak so that people can 
hear her original words and have that energy where people are talking to one another and there's space between lines and there's pauses. And I think Jennifer L, I think she's a, I think she's an awesome actor. Uh, I think that for what she was asked to do, sort of her performance isn't showy. It's very um, understated, but like in a really knowing and sharp way. Like if she glances and looks some direction, you know, she's like, thinking something really intense. And so she could communicate those subtleties in that way. Versus I think Joe Wright wanted energized performances from everyone. I mean, all the Bennett sisters, except for Jane are like moving around all the time. And I think Kira Knightley brings that, um, that energy and that sort of vocal fear, like Jennifer L has this sort of like interior fierceness where Kira Knightley, I think is like, has this sort of more outward energy and fierceness. And I don't know if one is better than the other, but I think it was just what the movie required of these different performers to, to do. Um, I I go back and like, I've seen Kira Knightley knock it out. I, I think she really knocks it out of the park in the movie. I've seen performances of hers that I don't like at all. <laughs> so like, I didn't like her in, in atonement and maybe that's more her character than like her performance. But um, I, I really enjoy watching her in the movie, but I also, this rewatch, having watched the miniseries and completion back to back within the past three months, I really love Jennifer L's performance too. And I think that's something I really walked away thinking like, she she carries that movie in a really or the show in a really in a really wonderful way um and has like a lot of interior fire and it becomes difficult in the sense too that you you have to compare just jennifer l's moments that are overlapping the performance of uh nightly because there are so many more moments that she is given in the franchise versus the film so that becomes complicated too i don't know yeah but Christine, I, I I tend to agree with a, a lot of a lot of that. That I think it is how the material was framed for each individual actor and performance, uh, and how they do each suit the style of each medium for sure. What do you guys think about the Janes? Can we talk about the Janes real quick? I gotta say, I, I still prefer the miniseries on that front too. That is uh, uh, Susanna uh, Harker in the miniseries. Um, that as opposed to who do we have here? Um, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike is great in Gone Girl, and she just does not get much to do in this movie. Um, unfortunately, in the movie, unfortunately. So I, I would also prefer Jane uh, in the miniseries because I think you just with more time devoted to her, just get a better sense of kind of like what she wants and her feelings with Bingley. Like feels a little bit deeper in the show than in the movie. Yeah time for me to admit something i don't like jane i never do no? no i find her character just as a character as a character i just find her to be completely boring and just like i love what lizzie says in the movie when she's like she barely tells me how she's feeling she barely tells me mm. that i'm her sister um she barely even speaks just like in general, I mean, I I love the YouTube series Lizzie Bennett Diary. Special shout out to that. I I, I love what they did there, and I actually like <laughs> prefer that Darcy. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, even in that, I'm just like, eh. I, I totally agree with you, Sam. I think, you know, Austin had a lot to do. She had so many characters to, to develop, but one she definitely did not was Jane. <laughs> I really don't like the performance of the actress that plays Jane in the show. I think yeah. she's just this walking, just cardboard character. And what's I don't think, different in the movie? I don't think Rosamund Pike is given any more to do. However, I think that her, I think her presence feels a lot more grounded and like older sister, like oldest sister energy. Not that I have an older sister and would know that energy, but I really thought that given next to nothing to do, Rosamund Pike really made the most of that character, especially when uh, Bingley does finally propose. And I don't know if that is actually in the book, whether you see her say, yes, a thousand times, yes. I don't, maybe that was made up for the show or for the movie. But she does, like, I don't know. I thought she does give it a little bit more um, oomph. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. I mean, I guess um, we we get perhaps less of her in the movie than we do in the series. Although even the in, in both interpretations, I agree that the character is pretty underdeveloped. And that's uh, kind of relatively true of the original material. Um, but also... Yeah, I suppose maybe it's just uh, maybe it's just spending more time with the 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 series version than um, than Pike's version in the movie because yeah, I guess I would agree that Pike's performance actually is better. Maybe it's the difference of how I view the characters and, and how they're handled in uh, in terms of time uh, between the two. How about Mister Collins's? Now that's a blowout. This one shouldn't be shouldn't be a contest <laughs> i mean tom hollander you know he's he's the movie version he's fine uh but i mean uh who, who do we have david uh david bamber within the miniseries is such a wonderful unity of entirely and appropriately creepy but also you know uh, within that accepted context performed in not a likable way, but in a way that, you know, it becomes at least comical and enjoyable as opposed to Hollanders, which I think feels pretty flat. I think, um, I think Bamber is way more expressive with the character. One moment that I don't think this is in the movie that surprised me at the end was when that the show, Mr. Collins says it's better if, if Lydia was dead, basically. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's in the movie. And I was like, whoa, that's dark for Mr. Collins. Ooh, watching the movie first, was kind of, that's like my first impression. It was like bumbling and appropriate. And then to think about like, that made me kind of reevaluate how I thought about the character. Like, oh, in this version, like he is that, I mean, he is the um, the protege, I guess, of um, Catherine de Bourges. So it's kind of like somebody who would probably say better to be dead than to be running away with somebody mm -hmm. like Mr. Like, uh, Mr. Wickham. Oh, Mr. Collins is just so vile. Just no matter which way you swing it, really. Um, so, you know, I I think that I think that I prefer the movie version only because he's in it less. So I don't have to deal with it too, too much. Um, but I do like that the, the miniseries gives Charlotte her due. And like, you see how it's literally just a marriage of convenience and how she's like, 
I don't mind the solitude. And like, yeah. It's basically like, I've got my room. He's out in the garden. I don't have to worry about this asshole. Fine. I did really love the proposal scene in the movie with, to Lizzie when like, it's that harsh downward angle uh, um, next to Kira Knightley's left shoulder. Yeah. Um, like, like hanging on that moment was like such a cool visual moment of like just how much more like powerful internally Lizzie is compared to like her wants and desires over this small little man who's rude and inconsiderate and appropriate. I, I love both Mr. Collins' performance, I think, equally. Uh, I, I find I find Tom Hollander's performance uh, wonderful. And and who who did you say the actor was who plays the show, Mr. Collins? Uh, that is um, uh, David Bamber. David Bamber. He is his comedic timing. You could tell both Tom Hollander and David Bamber are having so much fun with this as you would say, Sam, vile character. Yeah, he's he's horrible. Um, he's and Catherine as a team are the closest we come to villains in the entire in the entire story. Uh, but I find both of their performances great. I think there's some Joe Wright touches that I appreciated in the movie, like at the dance uh, when at Netherfield Ball. Uh, when Mr. Collins has been trying to make small talk with everyone and has been rejected repeated, repeatedly. And then he's just, oh, in the Netherfield ball tracking one shot. It's so good as it's making way through all of the party goers. And he's just holding this flower and he's just picking, the, you know, okay, fine. It's indulgent. Maybe it's dumb, but I visually think it's so great. And it kind of is a reminder that like, all of these characters, I, I thought it was a nice touch that this is sort of like a romantic comedy touch. And maybe that's a more mm -hmm. modern 2005 touch, but that all of these characters are just looking for love and that it's sort of this soft touch the movie has of like seeing all these characters and their failed attempts to find, you know, partners and like to small talk in, in high society or whatever. And that he's just as much of an outcast as like everybody else, even though he's vile. Yeah. Um, I did want to go back to Charlotte and say that I really do love Cla Claudie Blackley, who's plays Charlotte in the movie. I actually really liked her performance. Um, and I think there's some questions about how the movie handles her character. I, I think the scene where in the movie where she goes up to Lizzie uh, at Lizzie's home and tells her that she's going to marry Mr. Collins, I thought that was really emotional and intense. And I thought Claudie Blackley's performance um, communicated her resolve in marrying Mr. Collins, but her recognition that it, it's an economic matter that she needs to do this uh, to provide for herself. And I thought that the actress's performance communicates that urgency. And, and when she sees Lizzie kind of giving her this look, this judging look, she's like, she says, not everyone can afford to be romantic. And Claudie Blackley's delivery of that is so biting and so knowing that I thought, even though a lot of dialogue is taken away from that character in the movie, 
to flesh that out more. I thought her delivery really drives that home. Um, and I've also seen Claudie Blackley in other like masterpiece stuff or in other British shows. And I really just love her every time I see her. So, um, and I, and I do like the performance of the, of the, of the actor who does, who plays her in the show, but she's sort of more simple in the show. And I thought Claudie Blackley plays Charlotte a little bit more intelligent in the in the movie i don't know maybe i'll have to go revisit it but hmm. um she kind of felt more of a like act end of act one going to act two foil for lizzie in the movie when i feel like i didn't quite get that vibe of like well this is what i have to do like that urgency i feel like was i don't know missing a little bit for me from the show hmm yeah, I mean, I definitely like her performance and my roommates and I, we quote it literally all the time. I'm 27. I'm, I'm a burden to my family and I'm scared. We do yes. <laughs> And the older we get, the funnier it becomes. Oh, we're past 27, so it's really It's like, girl, you're 27? You're living know. your best life right now. I know. And like, you know, I... I would love Charlotte in the movie if they just gave her a little bit of resolution. Um, and like, we, we don't really get that at all. I think like my roommates and I, we really yeah, yeah, I agree. We watched the movie like a week or so ago. And at the very, I don't even know towards the end, but there's another moment where you see her again and we all went, oh, I guess things are fine. Which is like, you know, the, the miniseries does such a better job. And like, I'm so glad we get to see her living her life with Mr. Collins. So you can see how much of it she's choosing um, because it almost makes it like, I, it, no matter what, it's going to be a choice of desperation, but like at least in the miniseries, you see that she's managing this choice well. Maybe Joe Wright should have just done a miniseries. Maybe the HBO miniseries is the is the solution. <laughs> I feel like that's the thing. Like if I had, if I had had the amount of time that I was able to spend with the cast and style of the miniseries, with the cast and style of the movie, I think I would feel differently. I think it it is just. I agree. Fundamentally, a difference of how much time I'm allowed to spend in this world. Uh, that dictates my preference between the two because I do think there are strengths and weaknesses to each but being able to kind of stew in all of the details and uh, the minutiae of everything for a little bit longer for me was a little more satisfying um, than the movie ultimately and and probably at the end of the day the only difference because they as I said have their stylistic strengths and weaknesses and performances and so on so yeah mixed bag I would definitely recommend both which yeah. is not what I thought my opinion would be when we started this adventure. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my cynical walls were refreshingly broken down by <laughs> both the movie and the miniseries, um, which I think is one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast with you guys is saying, watching a thing in my, you know, I would never watch on my own and then actually ending up really enjoying it and wanting to learn more and watch more. So Definitely appreciate both versions. I still think I'm team movie by a couple of, you know, couple of inches, but it's close, but I think I'd have to land on a team movie. You're going to read the book? No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, now that I've read, you know, part of me is still in my like high school mindset of like, I don't want to read more than a hundred pages, but I've read all of A Song of Ice and Fire. 
you know, before, um, you know, I was before maybe just like three, four years ago, I was not a reader and I've devoured thousands of pages over the past four years, part of because of where we work. Um, yeah. Maybe I would read it, but I don't know. I have like, I'm staring at a book right now that's about 1300 pages that a friend let me borrow that I have not touched yet. So it's either got to be a hun- under 100 or 1,300. <laughs> you know, it's got to be one or the other. I mean, it also, <laughs> Martin didn't write it. I don't really care. Mm, but, all right. Just kidding. I mean, whatevs. You don't need to read Austin. I don't know if I'll ever pick Jane. I'll, I don't know if I'll ever pick, pick Pride and Prejudice, Prejudice up and read it again. Because I can just watch the movie whenever I want. <laughs> be- like, we talked on the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic. What are our go-to comfort movies? And this movie was what I reached for um, because it was just, it's just such a transporting feast for the eyes and ears. Um, so eh, if you don't want to read Austin, you don't know. Eh, whatever. Yeah, probably fine. Cares? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy, I, yeah, you know, I enjoy it, but it's, yeah, it's not for everybody. Um, can we, quickly i i did not know until actually i rewatched it during the pandemic and then slowly learned that a lot of people were rewatching the movie pride and prejudice during the pandemic and that actually the hand scene is a meme that's sweeping <laughs> the internet that i what? didn't know about <laughs> the, the... so for listeners out there who don't know what the hand is referring to it is when Lizzie and her family are leaving Netherfield Ball in the wee hours of the morning and Darcy helps her into the carriage and it's the first time, well, no, it isn't the first time, they've danced together, but Mm -hmm. I guess it's the first time that they've really just intimately touched. He helps her into the carriage and then the next shot is a close-up of his hand as he's walking away and he just extends it as if like, well, that's the big question is what does the hand flex mean <laughs> and it and the memes i've looked at suggest it means a whole range of emotions i bet from holy shit what did i just do to oh my gosh i uh uh i don't know how i was <laughs> oh excitement is coursing through my veins <laughs> to <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Austin, who knows? <laughs> uh, a uh, friend of the show sent me a TikTok of like in 2005 watching this in theaters of a woman like and then the hand and she like throws her popcorn in the air. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, I mean that hand thing has been just just delivering content for me, funny content for a very long time. So I'm so glad that it's it's back again. Maybe the hand will reemerge like post pandemic, like the first time, like a year from now, when you sh- actually shake a random person's hand and you're like, what did I just do? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, but not yeah. excitement, but fear. fear yes. Gesture of fear. Um, and I think the hand thing makes me think about something you mentioned, Dave, which is I think you're right. Joe Wright at times takes his stylistic flares too far because whereas the hand moment there really works in my opinion he then makes a thing of hands the fucking your hands are cold at the end i could have done without that dialogue (laughs) you know he like lingers on keira knightley's hand like 
going over the statues. I agree. This was his debut feature. And so as a young film director, he's going to try to show off and like do all, maybe take it yeah. um, too far. But yeah, and the hand thing, I was like, okay, we get it. We get it. You're trying to make hands a thing. That's fine. But I think in that moment, the flex, I think definitely uh, works as a really nice little touch. So it sounds like we should give this the good old Godzilla versus Kong treatment and just call it a draw. Um, I think so. Yeah. They, they nod at each other uh -huh. and, then, and then the miniseries walks into the ocean. <laughs> and then the, the other one dances, you know. Yeah. Dances in the ruins of Hong Kong. Yeah. And like, they really, the movie doesn't reimagine Besides its style, it really doesn't reimagine the story in a fresh way. That well, I will say. That um, is one thing also actually about the movie. The movie is set in 1790. Yeah, it does push uh, the the setting. And the only when, time I picked that out was, well, I read it, but then I was like, oh, maybe that explains Donald Southern's weird tri-corn hat or tri-colonial like, hat. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I think it's yeah, one of those right, things that unfortunately doesn't explain anything other than being like one of those stylistic choices of like, that's when the book was actually written. And it's like, yeah, but who cares? It's a story was when the book was written, it was set in this period. Why wouldn't you? I don't know. It feels like another one of those like one stylistic choices too many, even though it doesn't matter because it's it's not reflected in the story. So it's, I don't know. It's, it, I don't know about that. Which I think, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because if that was Joe Wright's attempt to be like, this is how I'm distinguishing this movie, then it's like, whatever. No, yeah, especially because it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change <laughs> anything. And I would say, yeah, like, like I would say nowadays, if you're going to, if you're going to take on Pride and Prejudice again, there's got to be something that is mind blowingly modern and, fresh and looking at the move the story through like a really new lens for me to like give a shit <laughs> i think i know the perfect director zack snyder zack snyder we're calling you <laughs> we're calling you up <laughs> well we have also been treated to pride and prejudice and zombies which i haven't seen but i'm gonna tackle next because uh now i have to oh my gosh um also, if you want to take this a little further, one of my favorite games to play, it's called Marrying Mr. Darcy. It's a card game. Um, it is the best thing. Um, you play as the female characters. Your goal is to get as many points as possible. And uh, there's an expansion pack where it's zombies. And um, some of the really cool things that can happen in both versions, the regular and the zombie, you can end up an old maid. Um, or you can end up cursed. Which I did become. <laughs> yep. Um, you can end up cursed and undead, or your suitors can be cursed. It's it's so much fun. We should uh, start a Twitch channel and just play that game. That's <laughs> all we do on Twitch. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So any final things you want to say about Pride and Prejudice? Oh, the, the score of the movie is gorgeous. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. I'll say the sound design is, you mentioned Dave earlier, the sound design. There's another moment where the maid, uh, where one of the maids in the house is singing. And then mm -hmm. the score comes in. 
um, the way he plays with uh, how much you can hear people's conversations in private rooms versus like the big balls is great. Like he plays with sound that way. And that's all I'll say. Some of that, uh, I, I, yeah, most of that I found really effective. Some of the stuff where it's like kind of important dialogue getting drowned out by like violins as we pan across the room towards them. I thought the was stomping a like, dancers. Ah. <laughs> it has to get like, drowned out by <laughs> stomping. <laughs> I guess if you want to be truly immersed in an environment where you're losing details of the story, then yes, but <laughs> <laughs> touche. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, on the whole, yeah, I do think the sound design was really great. Uh, with those like couple exceptions. Okay, well, I don't think we can say goodbye to a movie. A anything else? Well, there is uh, another game that we played that's uh, related to this game. That was a quiz that we all took on BuzzFeed, um, which you can find pretty easily. Uh, the quiz is, um, let me just dig up the exactly. So I know exactly how you folks can find it out there. That would be um, just searching uh, which uh, Pride and Prejudice character are you quiz. Uh, and there's a BuzzFeed one pretty handily available. Uh, and we all have our results. <laughs> Will Sam be the xenomorph yet again? I don't. I don't think so. I feel like I might have a common answer. Oh, okay. Did everybody get two people? Because yeah. I got. Okay, got. Yeah. Yeah, I got two people. I can go first then. I got Lizzie Bennett and Caroline Bingley. Me too. Oh. You're one oh. strong human being. Let me tell you that. You've got opinions, and you're not afraid to share them because guess what? You're confident in them. So I got two. It's like, thanks for calling me a bitch, BuzzFeed. Um, I know. Hmm. Well, I got... So, um, oh, go ahead. No, so you and Connor got the same? Yeah. Very nice. Well, I wound up with um, shock of all shocks among them. Uh, Mr. Darcy and uh, Jane Bennett. So oh. I'm either polarizing or disinteresting depending upon who you ask on the podcast i guess um the description is uh you might be an introvert at heart but you know uh how to have a good time when you're in the right company you're good a good-hearted person who loves the quiet things in life which i feel like is kind of the description i get a majority of the time anyway no matter what movie it is yeah i got that too hey <laughs> okay but this is starting to happen now so <laughs> you and Dave get the same one, Connor, me and you get the same one. Interesting. Okay. Wow. But new, but different teams for which is better though. Mm. Yeah. We're always, we're always shifting. We contain multitudes. We wow. do contain different permutations. Of, the duality of, of man. Mm. Um. Yes. <laughs> and today, on today's podcast, we've conquered the duality of man. <laughs> Stay tuned for two hours of the duality of man. Oof. Can't wait to listen to that one. <laughs> um, well, everyone, this was our first versus episode Pride and Prejudice movie versus the miniseries. I hope you enjoyed this. I think I would love to do something like this again. So if you want to hear more verses, let us know and what they should be. Um, just want to, again, say thank you for listening and uh, listen to some of our other episodes. You can catch that on Spotify. Spotify. 
iTunes. Um, also follow us on social media on uh, Instagram at Butter With That, uh, Twitter Butter With That One, Facebook Butter With That, and send us an email with your thoughts about the verses episode. Butter With That Podcast at gmail.com. And also for the latest news and everything else, uh, make sure you're following Movie John that we are a part of. Um, anything else, folks, that you want to share? Thanks for sharing the, the world of the Bennetts. It was quite a ride the, the past two weeks. In it. Yeah, major major credit to to you and Dave um, for when I was rewatching the miniseries and like the first two episodes was just dancing. I was like, what did I do? Um, but I, I really so appreciate it. <laughs> and we do also have a very, uh, very interesting uh, theme coming down the pike for next time um, that is going to be... Uh, uh, kind of uh, a really interesting deep dive into uh, some of the things that we really appreciate from uh, some different uh, different creators and uh, from some different uh, uh, kind of auteurs or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to dance around giving away the theme, but <laughs> you will come back next time and you will see uh, what we're going to be discussing and it's something we're really excited about. So that's going to be uh, something to look forward to as we continue. Yeah. Try to figure out what it is. Just kidding. Don't do it. All right. <laughs> and, uh, cut. Uh, and cut. Uh. <laughs> and until next time, <laughs> goodbye. Cheerio. Oh, God. Wow. Jesus, glad I didn't stop recording for that. Bloody hell. <laughs>